Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Well, it is the last week of 2023, and so I am going to do my annual retrospective. Every year, the retrospective is a little bit different. It kind of just depends on what I'm interested in, what I've been focused on. And so this year, what I want to do is I want to go through some of my favorite episodes, not necessarily the ones that got the biggest audiences. There are some episodes in here that the person sitting across from me said something that changed the way I thought about things. And several times, the way that they changed the way I thought about something actually changed my behavior in the real world. And when I think about the deep value of this podcast, this relationship that you and I have, the types of people that I bring in, the types of conversations that I want to have with them, in one way, it is really about trying to expose myself, and then I guess, you know, by consequence, you, to ideas that you just wouldn't encounter on a day-to-day basis. And and even if you did, you might not get to explore them or pull them apart because I'm sitting across from the person. I can ask them anything that I want. But the other thing that I want the podcast to do is to help me make better decisions in the world. You know, that, as I've discovered over the last little while, is what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to look at a situation and figure out what is the right way for me to behave so that I get closer to the outcome I want? And what is the right way that I can advise other people so they can get the outcome that they want? And I think that the podcast, for me, has really been a distillation of wisdom. And sometimes we talk with people and they're just interesting conversations. You get to find out about their their weird lives or their deep knowledge in something. But sometimes people will say things that just really uh, knock you down and make you say, hey, I I should probably integrate that into my life. So I'm going to talk about some of those podcast episodes. I also want to talk about uh, change. And I want to talk about what happens when you make some change. You know, we released some episodes this year about untying the knot, how how to get past things like addiction. But there's always some price to be paid. Even if you make a positive change in your life, you've got to give something else up. So I want to talk about some of the change that I've experienced. And hopefully that informs some of the change that either you are going to try and make for yourselves, or it might just be somebody saying like, yeah, I I went through that too. I I know exactly what that's like. And I'm just glad to know that somebody else did. Now, before we get to that, I took some time in the last week to really reflect on the lessons I've learned from doing well over a hundred legacy interviews just this year alone. So longtime listeners of the podcast know that I conduct legacy interviews This is where I sit down with individuals and couples to get them to share their life stories so that future generations can know their family history. Now, any one individual story is fascinating. I've had people ask me, like, how can you just listen to people tell their stories, you know, day in and day out and, and be awake? And I'm like, are you kidding? This isn't just awake. I am leaning forward in my chair. I am completely wrapped in their story. And this is whether they're a great storyteller or not, because this person is sharing with you what they did with this incredibly precious gift of life, with the time that they had from the place that they started. And every single person, every single one has a story that is engaging and interesting and compelling. And my job is to figure out how do I ask the right question to get them to talk about it. Now, as I've listened to hundreds of interviews, 
I can look at any one individual story and say there's wisdom there. There's a value that I can pull out for my own life. But the other thing that happens when you've done hundreds of interviews is that you can zoom the camera lens back and you can say, well, what is the pattern between these people? Because if I'm being really honest, I want to be these people one day. And what does that mean? You know, the, the people come in, some of them are very, very wealthy. Some of them are not wealthy. Some of them, their children have done much better than them. Some of them are just regular, ordinary people. So how is it that I can say, I want to be in the chair that all of them are in? And I think it comes down to, I want to be respected in the way that these people have someone else's respect. About 80% of the, the interviews we do, they're, they're bought by the adult children of the person I'm interviewing. So that means that that person, no matter what kind of conflict they had with their children, no matter what kind of strife, no matter what, what happened, they get to the upper end of their years, we'll say 65 and above, and their kids still care about them so much. They, they, they wanna honor them so much that they wanna capture their stories, oftentimes so that the grandkids can know what was mom and dad's mom and dad like. And there's something really amazing about the type of person that is worthy of, of getting a legacy interview. And so I think about what is it that I can do to raise my children, not so that they'll spend this money on me, but so that they'll want to hear the stories that I have, so that they want to know and they want to pass it down. And, it, and in looking at that, I'm able to see these patterns that I think are worth sharing. Some of them are about what did these people do? And some of them are just about what were people experiencing when they lived a life two generations ago, that when they were a child or they were in their 30s and 40s, the world was different. So what was it like and what were they doing? So I want to share a few of those things because I think you might find it valuable. The first one, and this is the one that stands out in my mind so clearly now, but I would never have guessed it was that we are so much closer in time to people living without water or electricity or even indoor plumbing than we imagine. The number of people that have sat across from me during a legacy interview and told me about having to go out to an outhouse or remembering when their family got uh, electricity at their house is staggering. I always thought that this was like you know, a long time ago. And, and I've lived in places that don't have electricity or running water. But here in the United States, you think, well, that's not really what we're, you know, you know, th that's much further away. That's like Abraham Lincoln times. But the truth is, for a lot of people living in rural America or even Canada, they have experienced life without those things. And when you hear that over and over and over again, you, you really start to think of, well, how did people spend their time when so much of what they were doing was, was stuff that we have mechanized now. You know, I have a dishwasher that once I fill the dishes up, it, you know, it can run for two hours, getting those things perfectly spot clean. It brings in the water, it heats it up, it does all these things. Well, it wasn't that long ago that there was no robot that could wash your dishes. Every meal had to be a person or a, a family system set up to wash those things. And so you start to think about how much differently the core family was set up when we didn't have electricity and running water and indoor plumbing. Now, I'm not trying to make this nostalgic. I, I, don't, I don't think things were better 
when people had to spend so much of their day just hauling water or just scrubbing things. But I do think that it's really important to realize that the way we value time and the way we value people's effort is so radically different because things in the home have changed. You know, the amount of time that something like a um, clothes washer or um, a, a hair blow dryer, all these things that they save you, one of the things that they're taking away is the need for interconnection with other people. And that brings me to the second observation that I've made from legacy interviews is that people used to spend a lot more time with other people. Now, if you grew up on a farm and you were miles and miles from other people, and I hear this all the time, I knew I have interviewed a lot of people that rode a horse to, to school or they, their parents only had one car and their mom couldn't drive. And so they would just, they would talk about years of being on the farm where they would maybe only get off once a month or something like that, or to go to church. But when you really dig in, it turns out that yes, you weren't going into town, you weren't going to movies or to entertainment. What people were doing was spending a lot more time with their relatives after church or um, with their family members that lived down the street or their, their parents had a lot of friends that would come over and interact and spend time together. So I always find it very interesting if you're having trouble getting somebody to open up, particularly about their parents and their childhood. One of my favorite new questions to ask, I, I got this question from somebody else. It was a great suggestion. One of my favorite questions to ask is, who were your parents' friends? Because all of a sudden it takes the child, you know, even though it might be a 65-year-old person, when they're imagining their parents, they are a child and they are not imagining the, the strife, you know, dad yelling at them while they're working cattle or mom having really strict rules about how to set the table or how to garden. But they're thinking about their parents in a more relaxed state. And they can picture in their minds mom and dad having some drinks, playing cards. They, I've heard so many people say that mom and dad didn't have any ashtrays until their friends came over. And you hear people talking about the way that they spent time with not only they're watching their parents spend time together, but then how much time young people spent running around on Saturday evening or on Sunday afternoon. And it's something that actually has really prompted me to think about in what way am I exposing my children to the benefit of having something regular, having something that they can count on, but it also being festive and not that difficult and where they get to see their parents be relaxed. Because in today's day and age with two little girls, my wife and I both owning our own businesses, it, it seems like it's so much work to get people together. But when people look back on their lives, they don't look back on the times when it was quiet and they were not doing anything. And they don't necessarily look back and want to tell you about the most thrilling and exciting thing. Instead, when people look back on their lives, they look to the consistency of their lives. They look to the cousins that they saw all the time, the, the way their parents interacted with people. And I think about that and I think I need to make an effort to, uh, to try and make that happen for my kids. And I think in the next year, well, I know I'm, I'm going to try and um, join a community organization because that is another big, big thing. I have noticed that people that are happiest in their life, people that were busy and hardworking and maybe didn't seem like they had a lot of free time. 
they always were involved with some sort of community organization, oftentimes more than, than just one community organization. And I think that that is what built up the relationships that their kids saw them be in. And it, and it really helped their kids have a much broader view of what is community and who do we interact with. And so I know for myself, I am, I am attempting to join a local service organization. We'll see, you know, I always find myself not being a joiner. I've, I've been called like, uh, you know, the, the, the Ronin, the lone samurai that doesn't have a, a master, but also doesn't, doesn't stay in a collective. So it will be difficult for me, but I think I'm going to try and do it because I have heard so many people talk in legacy interviews about the deep, deep value of being connected uh, with other people. Okay, another thing that really is striking to me, and, and this actually probably is the most impactful thing to me, is that people that even are very, very successful right now, they really struggled in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And there's something really liberating about this. It is not in any way that I, I like hearing about people struggling about either going through bankruptcy or doing everything they could in the world, you know, including working horrible jobs, doing some of the most um, grimy manual labor, farm labor, um, being away from their families, having to travel for months on end, um, going and working even, even in mines in order to be able to, to afford their life. But there's something truly like wonderful about understanding that the people that are older now that seem to be so successful, they had a struggle time too. They had a time where they were making decisions and they were nervous and they had sleepless nights and they made mistakes and they lost a bunch of money making you know, big uh, investments and they trusted the wrong people and they um, didn't pay attention to the details or they, they, they weren't always on, on board. But then they got through. And I think for me, as uh, as a man trying to raise a family, being connected with my friends, it's very easy to look around and think, I should have this all nailed down by now. I should have this all figured out. I shouldn't make mistakes. But when I hear that other people did, and that oftentimes those difficult times in their lives, the times when they fought off bankruptcy by working untold numbers of hours, or when they had to confront a real family crisis, uh, an addiction, or something um, that was really dragging the family down, that as a result, if they faced the music, and they worked hard, and they genuinely fought to be there, well, they look back on those times as like beautiful moments in their lives. Those are the moments when a couple has been sitting on a chair telling their stories and they look at each other, and for the first time, they have that realization like, yeah, we got through that. Remember how hard that was? Remember how we didn't know what we were going to do? Remember how worried we were? To see that happen over and over and over again is certainly no guarantee that the stresses and worries that I have or that you have are going to just you know, go away as we, as we get through there. But I can tell you, that the people that struggled and persevered, this is what their love is really all about. And if I could capture that moment, right, that, that, that electricity that is exchanged between two people, 
realizing what they did, having never really thought about it before, man, I would bottle that up and sell it. I, I, I think like it's such a powerful energy to see people come to that realization. And so I have a bunch of other lessons, but I think three is probably good. I have some other things I want to go through in this podcast, but one thing that I, I think there's two things that I wanted to suggest that you do as, as Christmas is coming up. For one, pull out some, some photos when you're with your family over these holidays. If you have any more time, maybe just do it online, but pull out photos and, and ask your parents or grandparents, like, who are all these people? Who are these friends? Who's not in this photo that should have been? And see what they say. Get them talking about other people. That's a way to get somebody to talk about themselves is to get them to talk about other people. And then the other thing is to just be a great listener when people are talking about struggles that they overcame. Because one of the most beautiful things that I've noticed is that people, when they uh, are able to recount and tell the story about what they went through, it changes the way that they think about that story. It actually recontextualizes it in their mind. And I've seen it so many times that I, I, I often wonder, like, how can I help other people to help their parents and grandparents have these moments? Because they are truly beautiful moments in life when somebody looks back and they say, we did it. Okay. Now that we've done that, I've got a few notes on some podcasts that I think are worth going back and checking out. So I have, I think, four listed here that I wanted to mention to everybody. These are not necessarily the most popular episodes, but they are ones where the people said something or several things, or I just enjoyed being around them that, that was really good. And I'm going to start off with my man, Zach Smith. So Zach Smith uh, created the stock cropper. He's the guy that's got that automated uh, chicken coop that will be moving around your backyard. And it's got an automatic feeder and waterer, and it, it's an amazing thing. Zach and I were talking earlier this week, and he is really excited about getting into the fabrication part of this and getting them built and having people do pre-orders. This is an amazing thing. And if Zach gets this project over the line, it will change the face of the way that people live their lives living in the suburbs, both in the United States, Canada, maybe even Europe, in ways that I think are hard to imagine. And I think that so many of us want this uh, food sovereignty that comes with it, the eggs, to be able to have our children be around animals, even though we're not living on a farm, that although this seems like a wild idea, Zach is somebody that can pull it off. And, and I'm really rooting for him in the next year. I know we're going to try and have him on again really soon because every time Zach and I talk, we, we're thinking about like, hey, how can we improve things? How can we make it better? How can we build this? How can we get it done? So I hope to have Zach on again, but that is an excellent episode. The next episode is one that um, I didn't really know how it was going to go. It was with a man named David Smith who actually built one of the most high-end retirement communities uh, in the United States and then actually started a business helping other retirement communities um, get retirees to move in. There's a, there's a huge challenge. There's people that have a need. They know they, they, their kids can see it, that they need to move somewhere where they're taken care of, um, but the, the grandparent doesn't really want to. There's fear with this change. They don't want to make this change. So I had David come in and talk to me about a book that he wrote called It's About Time. And it's a sales book. 
And it is literally the best sales book I've ever read. It, it is amazing. And David and I sat down and had an amazing conversation about relationships and sales and how to connect with people. And uh, this is the podcast that I hear about from a lot of people, particularly in the ag and sales uh, communities, where they're saying like, there's a bunch of stuff here I knew, but I'd never put to words. There's a bunch of stuff in here that I I had never really thought of before. So that episode with David Smith is, is a truly great one. The next one that I have here on the list is one that uh, not, not everyone was happy with. Um, it was an interview with a guy named Malcolm Collins, which I loved. You know, Malcolm's super excited. He must have been on Red Bull. I had heard him on Sean Newman's podcast, and he was running so fast on Sean Newman's that I was like, hey, when you're on my show, you got to come in at about 40% of the speed you were on there. And he did, and it was great, and he said a bunch of really controversial things. He also wouldn't answer some questions that I asked, and that really upset some of you, the listeners. Some of you, the listeners, were like, why would you have a guy on the podcast that will say some things but not answer all of them? And and uh, it actually created some controversy. And uh, I heard about this from quite a few people. So some people love it. In fact, I ran into a guy in Colorado who was like, I found you listening to you interview Malcolm Collins. And then I've had other people be like, I think you ought to take that down off of your playlist because I think people won't want to work with you if they know you're talking with somebody like Malcolm Collins. So for whatever that's worth, I thought the the conversation was interesting and I think it's worth checking out. And then the final one, the, the last one I want to mention is uh, a podcast I did with Dave Helland. So Dave is a construction, he owns a small construction company that does really high-end houses, very, very small, very boutique, and he also does mountain climbing. And Dave wrote me and said, hey, I think I'd like to come on your podcast. I think I have some things to share. And uh, I pretty much flatly reject everyone that invites themselves onto the podcast. And I really reject PR people that try and get people on my podcast. So when Dave wrote me this email, I think I wrote him some kind of some something quick back like, yeah, thanks, but probably not. And they wrote me again. And then I was like, look, man, um, I'm, I'm not going to interview you remotely. But if you want to drive down here and you really think that this will be a good conversation, go ahead. Looking back on what I wrote, Dave, and how that interaction went, I feel like a jerk because Dave's conversation with me has changed so many things in my life because he had all of these like beautiful one-liners, these beautiful heuristics about, hey, if I encounter a problem, how should I, how should I rectify it? The, the one that really sticks out to me is when Dave said, you know, when I'm, I'm talking with my guys and they have a question, should I do this on the job or should I do that on the job? And he says, I usually ask them, well, which is the harder one to do? And then they tell him what the harder one to do is. He's like, well, you should probably do that one because the other option is you trying to get a shortcut to get around what you know you need to get done. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as profound, but it strikes me, right? Like I have so many times in my life been like, well, I could do this. But when you start to frame it in that way of saying like, what is it that you're trying to get out of? Maybe you should do the harder thing and be focused on trying to do the harder thing that it becomes really, really good advice. So I think Dave's interview uh, uh, throughout the whole year was was my favorite. It was one that um, people call me up all the time and say that really helped me. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. So I, I just I absolutely uh, love those interviews. So speaking of the interviews, it is uh, only right for me to 
say thank you to the people that make the whole podcast happen. You know, it's very easy for you to just look at the, if you watch um, video for you to just see me and another person talking and think, well, Vance just runs that on his own. But it turns out I actually have a whole team and the whole team works together on legacy interviews and on the podcast and on a whole bunch of other projects that we work on. But the team deserves to be thanked and they deserve to be acknowledged. I, uh, first and foremost, we have an uh, office administrator, the, the, we call her the concierge attendant. Her name is Sydney Anderson. And Sydney came to this business uh, almost exactly a year ago. And when we started off, we were like, we don't have a process for anything. We don't have uh, a system. Here's what I want you to do. And uh, it would be like, hey, I've invited this person to come on the podcast. Will you help get all the details squared away? Well, she started doing that. And then she wrote down the system for doing that. And then I would start to have her mail things to people for legacy interviews. And she'd mail it. And then she'd write up a system for it. And so throughout this whole year, Sydney has created systems for literally everything that we do. And as we've brought on another teammate, they've been able to just go to the checklist and, and make it happen. So the reason I bring that up is uh, I could not be where we are without Sydney systematizing things. And it has been a wonderful gift to have her on the team coming up with things. So I want to thank Sydney. Another person that you've probably never heard. Uh, I don't, I don't reference him the way Rogan references Jamie, but I have a guy that sits in, in the studio when we're recording named Solomon. And Solomon is an audio engineer that has a theater career and a singing career. And he fits in coming to do all this stuff with legacy interviews. Solomon and I, I was just thinking about it this week, have spent a lot of hours together. Not only is he here during all of the podcasts, he edits the audio from the podcast, but he's also here for every single legacy interview that we do in the studio. And so Solomon and I have been working together. He has made the sound of the podcast so much stronger. And uh, he, he's, he's always coming in and he's like, hey, I, I think we should straighten up these cables or I think we should do this thing. Now, as the business owner, I'm like, all right, well, what's the benefit of that? What, what kind of time is that going to take? And then, you know, he, he never pushes too hard, but eventually I'm like, okay, Solomon, why don't you do that thing you were telling me about? And then you come into the office and you're like, how did I ever live without this? How did I, <laughs> how was it that I did not think that organizing the cables in the office would make a huge difference? So I absolutely uh, adore Solomon. He, uh, he's a quirky guy, but he's um, definitely using legacy interviews in the podcast to, uh, to help him get to other places that he wants to. And, and I'm really excited about seeing him grow in the next year. Finally, the, uh, the, the biggest hire that we made this year was a guy named Sean Thiessen. So Sean is the creative director for Legacy Interviews. He is a full-on filmmaker. The guy wrote a movie that was played in theaters all over the country. I have an excellent podcast with him. Um, you can go look up. I'll, maybe I'll throw it in the show notes. But Sean has come in and he has really had, he's really had a vision. He's had a way of looking at what legacy interviews could be and he just keeps making it better. He's very, very concerned about like, what is the shot angle? What is, how is the lights doing in here? What's, what's going on with the background? And that's only on the, when we're shooting the interview. When he comes out, he's got editing opinions. He's been making marketing videos. He's a wonderful person for me to talk to about uh, speeches that I'm giving because he's just such an excellent uh, storyteller. And so uh, with these three people, 
Legacy Interviews has grown tremendously over the last year, and uh, it's really been wonderful, and that's helped the podcast grow too. We are working on some pretty exciting things in the new year. We're um, probably going to unveil a new website in January. We've started doing some touring. In fact, if you are in Northwest Indiana or Northeast Illinois, uh, we will be in Monticello, Indiana to do a uh, legacy interview in a bin dominium. This is when a grain bin is turned into a, uh, like a hotel or an Airbnb. And uh, they've agreed to let us come and shoot uh, some interviews. So if you want to be one of those very few people that uh, we schedule when we're up there on February 8th and 9th, then uh, then definitely go to LegacyInterviews.com slash Indiana to, to find out more. But all of this is possible because I have such a great team. Now, I told you that we would talk a little bit about um, making some changes in the in the new year or just in general. So I want to talk about some of the changes that I made. The first one comes from Kevin Kelly. And in, in his podcast, he mentioned how valuable traditions are and about how you can, with children, make traditions of just about anything, but this allows them to have something grounding. I think, you know, and if we think about the the way that people used to live in community, a lot of that community was done through tradition. This is the way we do things. This is how we do things. I grew up in a family of seven kids and my parents did a very, very good job of making our rules into traditions. And the, the, the traditions are what allowed the trains to run on time. But when you have a smaller family, you can make the trains run on time, even if you don't have everything in a super rigid system. But I'm starting now to see the value of like, um, you know, taking a photograph on the winter solstice and making a big deal about how we're going to do one at the summer solstice. And we're going to compare where the sun was rising from. And uh, we, we do things with food and, and how Friday night is pizza night. And uh, when we light a fire in the fireplace, these kinds of traditions are the responsibility, I think, of the parents. And if you can do it right, you start to give your children some real grounding to know what to expect to make things seem normal and regular, even if you are living a life of a lot of chaos, trying to keep everything going. Another big thing that I quit this year was coffee. I, um, I found myself drinking gallons and gallons and gallons of coffee. And uh, even when things were going really well, I found myself being um, kind of agitated or a little bit you know, wound up. Now, when I did it, probably about six, seven months ago, something like that. I think it was really only possible because I had stopped drinking um, alcohol a few months before that. And I talk about this in a podcast called Untying the Knot. If I had tried to quit drinking coffee, but still drank alcohol every once in a while, then um, the, the funny thing about me drinking alcohol is, is it's not like I was going out and having benders. I now just have this thing where if I drink two drinks, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, ah, am I hungover? Am I not? If I have three drinks, then I just know I'm hungover. So if I had tried to quit drinking coffee before then, as soon as I felt that way, I would just go straight to the coffee maker and make that coffee to make myself feel better after drinking. So I was able to untie this knot. And I was thinking that this was just all in general wonderful. But my wife said something the other day that kind of surprised me. And I, I wasn't really ready for it. She said, yeah, I'm, I, I think you are a lot you know, calmer. I can definitely tell a big difference with uh, the coffee. She's like, also though, mornings aren't as happy here. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, you know, you would drink your coffee and you would want to turn on music and you'd, you'd be getting the girls going. 
And uh, I didn't realize that. And I think like it's easy to, when you're trying to get rid of something, to look at all the negatives, but then to, to maybe miss some of the positives. So I've now started to try and be more cognizant of like, was there value in the way that I was interacting with the girls? Is there a way for me to be uplifting without needing to um, get really going on caffeine? Or is that not something I should continue with? Maybe I should go back to coffee and try and interact with it in a different way. The reason I bring this up is because if you're going to make a big change in the coming year, it's okay if it costs you something somewhere else, but you should be aware of what it's costing you. Because it's, it, if you now have taken on a big exercise habit, and what this has done is it's interfered with the amount of time you were spending with your children, maybe you needed to do that. But it's good for you to be aware that that's what it's costing you. The same thing with working more and, and whatever changes that you're making, trying to think of what are the other costs, and that shouldn't talk you out of it. It should just make you be aware so that that way you can do something about it if you need to. And then uh, finally, this year, probably the biggest change that I've made in my, in my life is just focusing. Listeners of the podcast knew about the Articulate Ventures Network. This is where we got together online and we had a bunch of like practice speaking gyms and we had a chance to do debate and uh, a, a place to like just kind of talk about things that were going on in the news and the podcast and we had a book club. And I came to the realization that I just couldn't give that the time and attention that it needed. And so I took the painful step of shutting it down. And uh, that was hard. It was sad. But I'm glad I did it because it allowed me to focus more on my work, both the legacy interviews and now I've started going out and giving talks. I, I think that for me, figuring out how to make it so I could focus my energy on just one or two things was really, really valuable. And so as you're thinking about what you're going to do in the new year, maybe it's not taking something on. Maybe it's not a health goal. Maybe it's about focusing. Maybe it's about trying to figure out how you can get to a place where you can really hone your skills on one or two things and, uh, and maybe come and pick the other stuff up later. All right. This has turned into a much, much longer podcast than I anticipated, but it is, uh, it's really great to be here. I am honored that you listen to the podcast. Um, I, I absolutely love it when my listeners reach out, even if they're telling me something they don't like. Know that you can find me on Twitter. You can always write comments on the YouTube pages. But just know that I am deeply grateful that you're here and I want to know what I can do to make the podcast better, more interesting, um, more valuable. So, in the new year. I hope you have a wonderful 2024. I hope you uh, get out there and learn about Bitcoin and you uh, try and find good ways to spend this very, very precious time we have on this earth. All right, without further ado, we'll talk to you in 2024.